Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. We have another amazing guest with us today. We have Dr. Fiona Pasaraja, who is the founder and managing partner of a health tech VC called Christagali. Not only is she the founder of an amazing VC, she used to be a consultant radiologist in a world-renowned hospital in central London and is one of the very few doctors to hold both an MBA and MPH. We have so many topics we want to share and discuss with you, but it's been a massive pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. I'm calling in from Copenhagen and thanks very much for having me on the show. No, it's been a, it's a massive pleasure for us. Um, I know you're doing such incredible work now, but as is the traditional scrubbing style, we want to take it all the way to the beginning, a young Fiona. Um, tell us how you kind of embarked on your journey in medicine when you decided you wanted to be a doctor. Um, I didn't think there was a sort of a single moment, but I loved science as a young uh, girl. I went to an all-girls school in Reading and um, I loved science. And then I quickly realized I actually didn't want a life, you know, in the lab. So, um, mm. you know, most of the clever people in my school actually decided, you know, we, we, if we love science and you you like people, then, you know, try and work in um in medicine or try and get into medicine so that's what I did and mm. um yeah it seems like a long time ago now that I was you know doing all the things you need to do to get into medical school all the volunteering and, and all that jazz mm. yeah and you mentioned you and Reading and you're based in Copenhagen is this a new move as part of your venture or have you kind of what was the story behind the move um, I did all my uh, sort of, I went to medical school at UCL in London, and then I trained as a radiologist and actually a junior doctor in and around London. Um, and then I did oh, an wow. MBA at London Business School. And actually, my partner is Danish. And so we now live between ah. London and Copenhagen, we split our time 50-50. But at the moment with lockdown, oh, wow. it feels a little bit calmer yeah. here. So I'm here I am in Copenhagen yeah. today. No, I don't, I don't um, blame you. And I do envy you slightly. Um, having kind of done a lot of your training in central London, worked in some of the most renowned hospitals, we want to kind of touch upon why you wanted to pursue um, a career in radiology per se, and what kind of drew you to that specialty? Um, I think that it, p people from the outside, even people in medicine, actually don't realize that radiology is the cutting edge of tech in, in medicine. So, you know, whether it's mm. um, the hardware that we're having, the big, you know, CT scans, MRI scanners, all of those things, all the software that we're using, whether it's voice recognition or the 3D reconstructions we're doing, mm. you know, that's the cutting edge of tech in medicine. And that's what I decided, you know, I'd like to work with where is the sort of, um, where's the best technology in the hospital? And that's why I decided mm. to go there. And then one one step sort of removed from that, I actually love the idea of being like a detective, you know? So radiology is like mm. being a detective, you're piecing everything together and all these different people from different specialties mm. are telling you these different sort of bits of information. And then you put it all together as, as you know, like a detective. So that's what I liked about it. Walk us through your, your training, the things that you, uh, the other things that you loved about radiology, the things that you didn't like, and then, the thought process of how and why you switched essentially careers? Um, well, I started as a young doctor. I did my house job at UCH and that was in 2006. It's a long time ago. And then I did the foundation program year one and two, then started thinking, you know, I want to do something else outside medicine. Um, and I mm. tried to, you know, do that within training, but they said, like, you know, there's not really that, that much going on. So um, I decided mm. to take a year out and I was a management consultant for a year. And then I spent two years working um, for Sir Bruce Keogh at the Department of Health. And then I decided yeah. to go back into to, to radiology because he told me, actually, you know, you need to have a specialty. So I went 
and went mm. to UCL H, UCH and started training. And, you know, one of the uh. great things about radiology is that um, you, you kind of get all the best of patient interactions. So, you, you know, they're very controlled patient interactions and each one, you know, when you're, whether you're doing an ultrasound, whether you're doing a biopsy, you know, whether you're doing some sort of interventional procedure, you really feel that you're making a difference in every interaction. And I found that, you know, very mm-hmm. rewarding. You're surrounded by very clever colleagues, you know, who have always you know, weird and wonderful differential diagnoses and, mm. and, and thoughts on the yeah. way they think. Um, and UCH is great because, you know, it's, it's at the cutting edge of research and tech and there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, then yeah. the less good stuff, I guess, about you know, being at a big hospital like that is that, you know, people don't always listen to young doctors and they don't always listen to young consultants. Mm. And I found that very mm. frustrating. And actually, you know, at UCLH, there were lots of um, moments when I would say something, to, you know, that was either going to improve something or, or trying to think about a process in a different way. But, you know, people would say, look, you know, you're just a junior or we don't have time for that or your, mm. your thoughts would get deprioritized. And I found that quite demoralizing. And even when I became a young consultant, I realized, you know, someone said mm. to me, you're going to have to wait 15 years until you become the medical director. Oh, wow. And I just thought, you know what, at this moment, look, no, I'm, I'm now doing something out from the outside. Because as time went on, I realized that my job plan was going to predict my, my week, you know, week on week, month on month, year on year. And actually, I wanted a more yeah. diverse and, and dynamic career. So I decided to do something uh, slightly different and take a risk. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I think just from the get go, you can tell you were someone, one, an advocate, but you had a bit of foresight in terms of how your career was progressing and what you kind of wanted to have out of it i just wanted to kind of touch on when you did the management consultancy i know there's kind of not a frenzy but a lot of medical students and junior doctors transitioning into that role um some not even doing foundation training altogether and kind of graduating what does that role entail and you know what were some of the skills you picked up having done a role like that um i think that the management consulting role is is very good to pick up generic general or generic management skills and it's a long time ago mm. now it's 2008 i did that i think and essentially you know you i was in a special a small consultancy that only did healthcare so you would then be a healthcare specialist and you would be mm. based on certain projects and the, some of the projects that i was on back in the day were around trying to look at mergers of different um i think now they'd be called ccgs but i can't but primary care trust yeah. back in the day um mm. but the point is you know you're trying to help the, the healthcare at the systems level um and i think that gave me a lot of skills so practical skills like how do you do how do you run a project you know what does that really involve yeah. how do you use microsoft project how do you really build models on excel you know basic things like yeah. that and then of course it taught you the more intangible stuff as well around you know leadership skills operations management mm-hmm. you know how do you get your client to believe in you you know those are all sorts of different skills that you know that you um, learn as a management consultant but ultimately i realized that isn't for me because i felt mm-hmm. and this is potentially a controversial thing to say but i found that in in healthcare management consulting it didn't feel like the people were values based around healthcare. Maybe that was where I worked, mm. but it didn't feel yeah. the same as in, in medicine where people are really trying to, you know, push healthcare and, and the values there forwards. Yeah, mm. no, definitely. And it's reassuring and quite refreshing to hear that you kind of were open to career changes or kind of open to do and explore new things. Cause I know, I don't know, maybe it's changing that a lot of people once they became a consultant in the respective specialty, that was it. They kind of didn't explore anything and for the next 30, 40 years, that was their life, right? And they may escalate to kind of senior exec management positions. Um, 
I wanted to ask this kind of following question in terms of what was kind of your rationale um, and thought process behind kind of doing an MBA um, and what would you say has kind of proved to work in your favor having done one as to someone that doesn't do one? Um, I wanted to do an MBA because I, back in the day, wanted to be the CEO of a hospital. You know, I wanted to, to oh, I wanted wow. to run a hospital and I realized, look, actually, I don't want to be a CEO who doesn't have skills. So I want to get the, mm. obviously I gained some skills as a management consultant and the Department of Health, but I didn't have formal mm. education around financial accounting, management accounting, mm. you know, corporate finance. So part, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go and get an MBA because I'm, I'm learning hard skills you know, which I couldn't learn in medicine or just by sort of being on the job. Um, mm. it, to the one sort of, um, I guess, one moving slightly away from the question, I don't think mm. that you need to have an MBA to be successful in health tech. Okay. You yeah. know, because I think that especially nowadays, you know, there's so many opportunities out there that, you know, mm. I think if it was me today, I would actually say, look, I'm going to take some time out of medicine and join a healthcare startup, you know, because okay. there's this huge variety of stuff that you can learn on the job. You know, a year in a healthcare startup will give you this incredible insight into fundraising, strategy, sales, mm. all these things. One thing mm. that I would add, though, is that the MBA gave me an unparalleled mm. network, which I don't think you can get in okay. a startup. So, you know, I, mm -hmm. I have friends now. One sits on the board of AC Milan, the football club, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, my best friend lives in Brazil, you know, from the NBA. And, yeah. and that kind of stuff is, is you know, it's, it's harder to, to get elsewhere. Yeah, mm. no, I do agree. Well, in terms of now the value of a network, so that's an important factor to explore. Education is one sort of um, aspect of everything that we have, medicine, and then the networks that you've gotten through your MBA really sort of tell us a little bit about the value of being able to access these networks and why they're so important to us who are startup founders who are medics who are trainees tell us a little bit about that i think the network effects are important everywhere right not just in the startup land as you alluded to and mm. i think that's it's really important mm. because most of the, the sort of the incredible learning that happens happens at the where two sectors interact. So, you know, mm. some of the issues I might have as a radiologist, once I took them in the MBA and talked about it with my friends in IT or my friends in investment banking, you know, they would have very yeah. different views on things and be like, oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And I think that's really useful because having a network that's broad and diverse forces you to think differently. And, you know, mm. and a lot of being in the NHS, I realized was, um, you know, it's quite stultifying. And it felt sometimes like you're wading through treacle, you know, to try and get to a solution. And so to be surrounded yeah. by these different people who are saying, hey, why don't you think differently? It was I found that yeah. quite empowering. No, definitely. We are a massive advocates of kind of reaching out and increasing your network. What advice would you give to other individuals? Um, that they can do or is a first step in kind of going on this phase of networking and meeting other people? Yeah, I think it's quite challenging, especially in times of Corona, right? Um, but, yeah. it's, <laughs> but one thing I would say is don't, <laughs> don't message somebody. I always, I get probably about five to 10 messages on LinkedIn a week, which essentially start with, oh, wow. I'm interested in moving into VC, I'm a doctor, can you give me five minutes of your time? 
And I think, mm. look, that's never going to be five minutes. And if I'm getting 10 of these calls, <laughs> it's like 10 times one hour, right? And like, I physically can't do that. Yeah. So I would say, if yeah. you're going to reach out to somebody, do some research on them, you know, figure out what interests them, mm. what, where could you overlap and be like, look, you know, I run this podcast, I'm interested in this, would mm. you be, you know, willing to do something? And I think networking isn't just a unilateral thing where you ask for stuff, yeah. you know, try and make it a little bit more interesting to the person on the other side. No, yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think it's always interesting. I think a lot of it is just sending out these emails and kind of wanting to take and take. And there's never a, a thought given to what can I offer this individual? How can I kind of give them value as well? So I'm I, really glad you I saw this that. really cool piece of advice online where um, I think it was for the fast company CEO, just someone through Twitter said, Hey, I didn't notice. I noticed that you didn't have a Wikipedia page, so I created it for you. You got a job through Twitter. Yeah, so stuff like that is so yeah, amazing. Yeah, and he got a message back. He was like, "I replied to this message purely because he gave me value." Yeah. <laughs> that, so think, amazing! It really is amazing. Um, there's so many things I want to discuss, um, and I'm glad you kind of echoed that. You don't need to have an MBA. You don't really need to have like formal qualifications to kind of go on this entrepreneurial journey, this problem-solving startup journey. Um, and it kind of brings us what we want to kind of discuss in depth is tell us the story behind founding Christogali Ventures. How does a clinician working in a very top renowned famous hospital central London go through consultancy works under Cerberus Kiosk end up founding um, a health tech VC firm? Um, well, it starts, the story starts at London Business School, which I went to do an executive MBA um, in 2015. And so that involves, you know, you're working half the time, you're doing the MBA the rest of the time. And it was a very intense time. And actually, I met my business partner, Soren Freiler Moller, there at, at mm. business school. And, you know, we really clicked. And that's the beauty about, as I mentioned, about going to business school, because you meet these people, you know, I was, as you mentioned, you know, a radiologist working in the NHS. I've spent my whole career pretty much there. I've done a little bit outside, yeah. but you know, my value set is still very NHS on the inside of me, right? So <laughs> when, when I met Surin, I was like, my God, you know, like he's very different. And he's he was an investment banker. He ran a hedge fund. Um, and But we really clicked and we realized, you know, we want to do something together to try and change um, the world in some mm. way. And so we decided mm. firstly to do that via health tech investing. And Actually, Christogalli started as an arm of Surin's family office. So he had he has a very large oh, wow. Danish family office. And we started yeah. investing early on through that. Um, but the, the story of Christogalli started after that, when I started realizing, look, there's hardly any women, mm. hardly any brown people, hardly yeah. any people of, you know, females of color who are investing in yeah. positions of responsibility. And that happened not only that on, I started realizing both the founder and investor side, it's very white, male, straight people. Driven. And I started yeah. thinking, look, yeah. you know, actually healthcare is really diverse, right? You, you guys know, you go to hospital, mm. you know, the staff, whether you're the porter or the consultant, you know, they could be Asian, they could be white, they could be black. And, you know, mm. and the patients as well, you know, you get people from all over um, and from That's various amazing. different backgrounds. So I started thinking, mm. I actually need to create something here that is involves me stepping out more and putting myself on the line. And so Surin mm. and I, you know, um, put, created Crystal Galley Ventures, which is to back amazing founders who are building the future of healthcare. We're a $65 million mm. fund. We're based in London oh, and wow. Copenhagen. And we, we invest in these three key areas. So deep tech, so mm -hmm. AI and machine learning yep. in healthcare, digital health, 
mainly around sort of um, chronic disease management, apps, that kind of thing, and then personalized medicine. So technology companies that are working around epigenetics, the genome, um, or the microbiome. No, that's amazing. And having kind of looked at your website and seen some of the amazing work you're doing, how do you feel that the VC is different being led by a clinician that understands patients, that has experienced medicine, um, were you phased by kind of taking on this role? Did you at any point feel, am I up for it? Do I need to upskill? How has that transition been for you to kind of running this amazing fund? I think the transitions, it's, you know, sometimes people say that there's that famous saying that, you know, you can only join the dots when you look backwards. So sometimes when you're doing things mm. in your career, you think, why am I really doing this? What's this all about? And you don't really know, right? But now looking mm. back, actually mm. you're talking about transitions. I made the transition from a medical student to doctor, like you guys have done. I've made the transition from yeah. doctor to management consultant, management consultant to person working in policy, in the Department of Health. Yeah. And all of those things helped me to build this resilience and the, the ability to really try to work outside your comfort zone because that's what transitions mm -hmm. are really about, right? You're successful at a transition if you lean into your the kind of area outside your comfort zone. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. some of the challenges I've had um, are, re are really around, I guess, owning the story, you know? And, and when I started in healthcare mm -hmm. investing in health tech, you know, I was like, oh, I'm a doctor who's now doing this. And actually now, you know, many years on, uh, several years on, not many years on, I very much feel mm -hmm that I'm a health tech investor and, you know, I own my story. And I think that's really important mm, yeah. to talk about as well. With regards to now transition periods, going from med school to management to a radiology consultant, um, and then leaving, leaving that security, you know, you've got, you're a radiology consultant, you've got a job, you've got a salary coming in, and you can, you can essentially live a, a very stable life. What gives you that courage to say, I'm going to switch, I'm going to taste something new, and I'm going to pursue this because this is what I want. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy, right? And I think that that's something mm -hmm. that is people, you know, people look at people like me or you know, other people and think, oh gosh, it must be easy just to leave behind medicine. But no, it's, it's really <laughs> not. And I took a long time to come off the GMC register, for example. And before, what I didn't mention is after I'd finished at UCLH, I worked as a consultant for a teleradiology company. So you could, um, mm -hmm. you could be based anywhere in the world and then you could look at NHS scans and, you know, still be reporting. And I felt I needed to do that that until I felt comfortable enough to move into something, you know, fully. Um, so yeah. I, I'm saying, to, you know, if you are, if, if anyone listening to this is going through a transition or considering one, you know, recognize that it's not easy. It is challenging. And I think you just mm. have to question yourself, how important is this to me? And when I'm 80 and I'm looking back at the rest of my life, will mm. I be like, oh my gosh, I should have done that. And I didn't. Yeah. No, we're big advocates. It's like the, you know, the regret minimization framework. It's what are the things you should do? Take the leap of faith now, such that when you're 78 years old, you look back and kind of kicking yourself. I wish I had done that. Um, you have done amazing well. You're, you know, someone, a female leading an amazing company. There are lots of female individuals that do want to have their own startups, want to go down this entrepreneurial journey, want to get involved in health tech, med tech, um, but are kind of worried about family life, kind of what others will think of them. What advice would you give um, to someone having kind of been through that journey yourself? 
Um, I would say it's important to find a community for yourself and to find role models because actually you can feel alone if you, you know, especially if you're in the NHS and everybody's saying, look, you know, this is one path and you should do that. Actually, you know, there, there are now, especially if I was a, a younger woman going through what I was going through, you know, 10 years ago now, I would actually say yeah. there's loads of great communities you can join, whether it's online or finding a mentor in real life and trying to, to mm. lean on a community to help you through your own sort of metamorphosis and journey. No, definitely. And it's encouraging. And I think it's good to see individuals like yourself with a clinical background. And it kind of gives everyone else the hope and inspiration. Like, okay, Fiona's doing it. I want to do something super cool like her and kind of following your journey. This whole kind of trend in the uptake of technology in the healthcare sector and all of these new VC funds and a lot of money being pumped into health tech. What do you think the future of health tech looks like from a VC perspective? Do you think it will all be clinician-led? Do you think consultants in the future will be a hybrid between you know product managing for a company and having clinical practice? What does it all look like um, for you or what do you anticipate? Well, I think that health tech and VCs is a very exciting space to be in now, whether you're a founder yeah, or an yeah. investor, actually. And there's loads of new health tech specific funds that are coming up across Europe, which I think is, you know, it's, it's great. It shows that there's, you know, huge interest in the area. And I think that actually, you, you know, to your point about whether doctors will have, um, I guess, portfolio careers more in the future, I, I think, yes, you know, mm. I think just as um, you know, there's lots of doctors who have a portfolio of education, medical education and clinical work or research and clinical work in the future, people will mm. do a bit of commercial work and their clinical work. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that will mm. be an avenue that's open to people. And if you want to be a chief medical officer at a startup, or if you want to, you know, found your own company, um, I think that, you know, all of those things are possible in the future. And even now, no. forget the future, mm -hmm. it's possible now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, we're we're highly encouraging it, and I and I remember we had like a guest who said now to get kind of a cardiology post as a consultant, you need to have like a PhD, have a lot of research, and in a few years it'll probably be like you know what's your tech stack, you know what what do you know about technology? You're going to be leading a department. How familiar are you with um, technology? So I do hope and excited to see what the future holds. You are in a kind of very privileged position where you have a large fund and you you have you know the opportunity to invest in startups i know there are lots of startup founders that do listen to the podcast what advice would you give what as a vc do you look for before you kind of write out that big check that can change someone's life um firstly you know we, we try to sometimes get to know the startups a little bit before but in terms of in answer to your question i think that startups need especially in the health tech space need to think about whether mm. they're solving a real clinical problem you no, know, because actually we mm. invest a lot in deep tech and the deep tech startups I see in healthcare a lot have great technology, but they're trying to reverse engineer them to a solution, right? Yeah. So I think mm. that's a key mm. problem. So you need to solve a real clinical problem. And that means mm. understanding clinical pathways, really getting um, doctors on, or clinicians on board early to help you understand. If you're not a clinician, you know, you need to have those around you to help you. And I think um, mm. that also means understanding the clinical pathways, you know, understanding how does a patient run through this department? How do the doctors and, and nurses run through the department? And those, the most successful health tech founders are those people who you know, solve a real clinical problem and understand healthcare, right? And, and it's mm. important to remember that healthcare is hard. Working in health tech, yeah. it's not easy because you can't just go off and, you know, sell your product, you know, like if you had, I don't know, if you're a food box company or if you're a retail shop, 
you know, you have to get clinical buy-in, you have to go through regulation, you know, each country will yeah. have different types of challenges that you need to, to sort of overcome. So I think whilst it's hard, it's very rewarding work. And I would, you know, very much encourage yeah. startups in this space to, to approach us with, you know, their exciting solutions that they're building. No, mm. definitely. We've so we've said the word it's hard a lot when it comes to training consultant working as a starting up a health tech company and in the sphere of being a VC. Now it requires a lot of resilience because I imagine we'll be hit with a lot of failures, roadblocks, and then lots of problems that require solving. For those that are starting out in the journey, how would you advise us to sort of train those skills and sort of? put ourselves in the best position so that we can problem solve, so that we can sort of get over those hurdles and even setbacks. I think that it's important to remember that, you know, nothing in life that's worth doing is easy. So, you know, lots of things are mm. hard, but, you know, resilience, as you mentioned, is important. And I think mm. some of the things that are important to remember is that in medicine, you, you can have a career that's more like a climbing frame than an elevator. Right. And it's important to try and think that actually there's other options yeah. out there. So to not rush, because lots I have lots of friends who became radiologists very young and are now like, oh, what do I do now as a consultant? You know, mm. um, and, and so I think it's not there's no rush. I think <laughs> yeah. it's important to remember it's a long road. You're a consultant if you stay in medicine or a GP for a very long time. So, you know, don't don't rush with that. Keep being curious. Mm. Because medicine, hospital medicine especially, creates this tunnel vision mm. where you think, you know, medicine is the best. We only hang out with medics and it's it's very tunnel vision. So I would say, you know, listen to other things, read other things. <laughs> yeah. That helps you to be intellectually curious. Um, and I would say also, remember the person you were when you were yeah. 18, when you applied to medical school, because often by the time you're 35, 40 or 60, yeah. you know, that person has long disappeared. You know, so I think it's remember remember the enthusiasm yeah. and your sort of joie de vivre and why you wanted to do medicine in the first place. You're in the world of health tech, cutting edge technology. I wanted to ask, did you have any experience in technology in itself? Were you a coder? Were you a developer? Because um, a lot of people kind of have this fear of not wanting to do stuff in health tech. They may have a solution to a problem they've experienced, but because they don't know how to code, because they're not a software engineer, they're kind of hold it and kind of go to bed sleeping with it and never going forth with it how can they overcome that and is that something you've experienced yourself yeah so no is the answer i haven't been a coder i haven't been doing technology from you know when i was four or whatever that kind of journey um but i think it's important to remember that yeah. you don't need to in order to work in technology right if you're in a health tech startup not mm. everybody there is coding that mm -hmm. people are selling people are doing marketing people are creating strategy mm. so i think that's a really important point that you raised because of course the technical co-founders are really important you know and for our fund we have people who do technical due diligence mm. for us because you know neither me nor my partner who comes from a finance background have mm. that technical background but actually there's you know health tech is is a much bigger spectrum than just that but one of the things i would mention is that i was always very early an early adopter mm. to technology whether it was you know i was on twitter in like 2009 you know i was i was i was doing stuff very early oh, wow. and i think that you know now like clubhouse is there i'm, I'm always on clubhouse yeah. i'm chatting and you know hosting rooms and i think that that <laughs> attitude yeah. and that mindset of sort of being early to things and wanting to open your horizon is is very important i think yeah and we agree despite it kind of ending in tech health tech you don't really need to have a, an amazing coding background or start coding at the age of 12 like you know elon musk and bill gates and it mm. should never kind of put you off um and you should pursue it i want to ask in terms of 
when you left radiology, were there any sort of kickbacks? Were there any discussions with colleagues who are like, no, you, you know, you're forsaking the NHS, you're forsaking your clinical duties. How can you go and do this? Um, have you ever experienced any type of... Yeah, I mean, I think that's natural, responses? isn't it? I think that, you know, it, there are, of course, people who are naysayers or, of course, people who are saying, look, you know, you know, you've given up this amazing career, etc. But, you know, I still be- believe very strongly in myself yeah. that, you know, as a subject matter expert here in investing you know i bring a lot of value to the table and you know my partner was saying to me the other day you know we would create through our investment loads of jobs you know we're we're doing there's there's lots of other things that we're doing here that it is not the same as saving lives and doing things you know in the nhs but that we're still adding value to the world and definitely the radiology training Mm. and the medical training that i have really enables me to do the job that i do today no i agree and i think it's the concept of bringing value to others still have an impact you know there are more than one way of bringing impact to if not hundreds of thousands of people other mm-hmm. than being a doctor so i do feel sorry for the people that are kind of pushed into a corner and kind of like you know all this time money and effort has been sent and now you're kind of forsaking um the career you are the ceo kind of managing partner what does that role entail as to a cto or a cfo or a cmo what is the uniqueness well, about is, your you know, role what does it entail my own business so really all decision making here you know it, it the buck ends with mm. me the buck stops with me and i think that's what it's about it's about leadership and it's about you know one of the things i learned through doing stuff outside medicine was actually you know being a leader is about stepping up and speaking up right so i think that is what being a ceo or management mm-hmm. managing partner is about is you have to walk the walk you know you can't just be talking you have to actually be out there and 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 making a difference and trying to make a difference in the in the world in a positive way but you know the reality is the buck stops with me and i think that that's what no. i would say in answer to your question in terms of leadership i know everyone always asks is the same question what makes a good leader you know what are the skills but i want to ask something slightly different i think community and culture is important if not just as important as being a good leader how do individuals that have their own company their own businesses instill a healthy kind of progressive culture within their team I think it's and about having employees. a mindset that where you're looking for solutions you know i think that that sounds kind of banal but it's really true because mm. if you're often one of the challenges i felt in medicine was that people were just quick to say well no you know computer says no that kind of attitude and actually i realized that you know (laughs) you know to build a positive culture you need to be able to listen to everybody there needs to be less hierarchy and also everybody needs to have the the idea of you know we're looking for solutions here we're looking to how to positively change things instead of actually saying you know we can't obviously we can't do that because you know it's never been done before since you're in the health tech sphere um and if let's say before you started your own fund and you had the opportunity to invest in one company that is absolutely killing it um who would you pick and why uh, and this this has actually happened to me in real life because um i have known i have known andy puddicum who is the co-founder of headspace for many many years you know from when i was oh, first wow. on twitter yeah. in 2009 so if i had invested there now you know it's uh, it, i yeah. think they've raised 80 million euros <laughs> yeah. in, uh, dollars in their last fund headspace is one of the biggest yeah. apps in the world so that's what I would have invested in back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. you've had a real example. Um, but no, that's fine. As in, what excites you? Like, I don't know if I'm just like being like a, like a kid and a, like a fangirl and you watch Suits and all of these yeah. hedge funds guys. And 
what would you say is the most exciting part of your your kind of week um or like you know having this massive fund being able to invest and kind of nurture the future of health tech what is that one thing you you just love about it all um i love the variety and i love meeting entrepreneurs i think i love meeting these people who are so positive who want to change mm-hmm. the future of health and you know even if their idea mm-hmm. isn't great i just love the sort of the yeah. the energy and you know because mm. you know, great people <laughs> with a sort of mediocre idea can be helped to change or pivot their idea right but the fact yeah. is that most entrepreneurs you meet are just incredibly yeah. sort of people who are on fire with you're burning with enthusiasm and i find that incredibly invigorating yeah. as a person amazing no. give us insight into what your actual week looks like pre covid i i imagine <laughs> now it's a little bit different yeah. pre covid covid and what you expect normality in the future to look like for you Um well you know one of, one of the interesting things is somebody asked me this the other day on a podcast and I actually actually I was always doing a little bit of zoom and stuff like this because we were back and forth between London and Copenhagen a lot. Yeah. So yeah. um but now obviously I think that we'll go back to that hybrid model of you know lots of things back in the day you know some of the meetings that I would have taken in Vienna or in Paris you mm. know to meet a startup I think now could be done on mm. Zoom you know I think that's the reality yeah, and yeah. most people realize that I think on the investor side and the founder side my week is split into different things so there's um meeting companies physically or not physically meeting companies um and <laughs> and hearing them pitch to us then there's all the paperwork around existing investments and meeting with our legal team you know meeting with our social media team and uh, pr team etc and then there's also um going to events which we would have done a lot of mm. and there's this mm. kind of thing you know where we're meeting uh, where we're speaking about what we do as well which is really important as well so that would be how it would fit and then one of the things i struggle with as a, as a person at work is to nowadays because i have so many interests in so many different things is to try and mm. to try and get to do deep work So now I've had to put mm. aside one day a week to just sit and read, you know, because actually I just wasn't managing to get that done in amongst all the calls and yeah. meetings and things. I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want you to hate me for owner, but <laughs> a lot of people that have amazing ideas that are kind of in the position to raise funds from VCs are kind of like I don't want to raise money from a VC because apparently investors are always breathing down your neck they're always giving you crazy tight deadlines and they want to 10x on their returns and you're not allowed to go on holiday with your wives and you have to be at 24/7 is that the case or how is it actually for people that may be wondering since we have you Yeah I think that that can be the case for sure but I think that it's mm. important to pick your investor well so just like you know if you're going to get a consultant job at a hospital you know you should ideally do the work you should meet the people you should do the walk around ask your friends who've worked there all of that stuff so I think there's there's that and I think you know we actually pitch ourselves as what we call patient capital which means that we know that mm. in healthcare you know you can't get mm. stuff to turn around easily within 5 to 7 years most funds would okay. have a fund cycle to say actually you need to get this we need a 10x return in 7 years you know and we're like actually yeah. mm-hmm. it's not going to happen that easily in health tech so we because we have a single investor so my partner's family office backs our our, our whole fund in some ways it's easier mm. for us to not push companies like that but our ethos is that mm. we we call ourselves and we do act as patient capital where we are patient on timelines that doesn't mean we don't yeah. want a 10x you know 25x return it just means that we're <laughs> yeah, happy yeah. to to wait you know to wait and understand the pathway a timelines a bit more the beauty about what you did and why i love it so much is it a healthier way of fundraising and vcs where you do appreciate the differences between medicine and healthcare as to conventional kind of you know tech software everything else and i think the fund replicates and i think it gives that breathing space for 
kind of the health tech founders to kind of do their thing um, and appreciate it rather than kind of you know breathing down their necks um do you feel you will always be a health tech fund do you ever anticipate going into other diverse sectors or kind of moving slightly laterally uh, it's a very good question, and it's one that I've thought a lot about because I've started doing angel investments outside healthcare, okay. but more in the wellness mm. space. So mm. um, it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm interested in. You know, as I said, I would have invested in Headspace. You know, <laughs> if I had, if I had known. Oh, um, so I've started doing in angel investments outside healthcare, but only in 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 that kind of wellness space. But it, those things wouldn't meet our investment criteria. They're not deep criteria. tech. They're not digital mm. health. They're not personalized yeah. medicine. No, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And that kind of follows on to the next question. I, and I kind of asked you before is there's this trend of, you know, doctors want to get involved in stocks and trades. Everyone wants to be a hedge fund manager. Everyone wants to have the startup of their own. And some people are quite keen in angel investing. How does, let's say, a consultant who, you know, has a bit of spare money lying around, how do they go about doing this? You know, what's a healthy, safe way to start? I think that they should firstly find other people who've done it and speak to them because mm. just like with anything I keep mm. saying you know you need to imprint yourself on something if you start doing it it could be you know a, a very dangerous path to losing a lot of money <laughs> yeah, right so I think yeah, yeah. it's about there's lots of things so you can find people who've done it before in your in your community or you can network to find those mm. people then there's also loads of yeah. angel groups so like in London there's an angel group called Med City London and they do a lot of health tech based angel deals so it's that kind of mm. stuff where you know you can go along to those pitch events you can see if it's appropriate for you and then you know start down that journey but it's something i, I would definitely say capital is at risk and there's no guarantee yeah. you're suddenly your company's mm. going to suddenly um you know turn into a, a unicorn for the people who are startup founders they've got a business often the question is they, they always ask and we always ask how do we fundraise? How do we access money? How do they physically actually go about accessing VC funds, networks? How should they go about it? And how should they reach out to you? Um, I think, again, it's about, um, it's a different, lots of different ways. So people reach out to mm. us via our website. People reach out to us through people that know us as well. Mm. Then we also have, um, we, we have lots of links into accelerators and incubators. Yeah and other um, sort of angel groups as well. So people come mm. across us through those different ways. So if, you know, we have lots of mm. our companies have been through um, Entrepreneur First or SOSV. Mm. So if you, you know, if you're going through there, lots of the time EF will contact us and say, there's a really cool health tech company. Do you want to have a look at it? You... So that's how, Amazing. yeah. So I, I would say, you know, and there's another great um, incubator called KQ Labs, which is coming out of the Crick Institute. So there's lots of these things. Mm. So I would say if you're a founder, you know, try and attach yourself or try to you know, research the accelerators and things first yeah. before you start researching mm. VCs. Cause you know, it's mm. a, it's a network effect as well. No, definitely. Absolutely. We're big fans of kind of these accelerators, incubators. We've kind of personally been on a two ourselves. And we do think it is that middle ground where you, I think a lot of medics and medical students and doctors, we don't really get taught about entrepreneurship, kind of mm. finances and tax regulations and business models. And I think that is a safe place where you can kind of harness and kind of grow, scale yeah. your idea before you go out and reaching. So we are massive advocates. Yeah. I mean, the coaching and the, the network that you get and access to is absolutely amazing. So yeah, I, I'd advise that to everyone yeah. to Google all the accelerators that there are. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, how do you manage your time? You're flying and you have this amazing jet setting lifestyle kind of all over the world, yeah. having meetings in Paris and Vienna. Um, how do you manage it all? How is 
time and do you sleep do you relax <laughs> i think um one of the things that i struggle with is time management and you know i you guys maybe maybe your generation z i don't know but i've discovered <laughs> ali abdal you know the youtube okay, doctor yeah. so i was yeah, i yeah. was on a clubhouse where he was chatting the other day and i was asking him you know how do you manage time because i actually struggle with time management and you know because there's so much to do all the time and i i've now started realizing i need to protect my time so the deep work day nothing else gets booked on that day for example you know and i think it's about being clearer on your boundaries and also saying no so all these five to ten people who are sending me messages on linkedin every week saying can i have five minutes i actually say look i'm sorry mm. i can't but you can listen to this podcast that i you know that i recorded I that's a the starting way. place so i think it's about protecting yeah. your time as well no definitely and i'm glad you mentioned that kind of we get so caught up in the world and kind of we forget ourselves and that's kind of, you know, how you burn out and kind of lose off in it all. Which city do you prefer? Do you live, prefer Copenhagen or do you prefer London? I'll oh my God, I prefer, I prefer London because I'm, oh, a, yes. I'm a, <laughs> yes. because I'm a Londoner, you know, like I, I okay. feel very much, I went to university there, I feel like a Londoner and Copenhagen is amazing though, you know, but it yeah. feels small to me. So I think oh, that's yeah. why I miss the buzz of the big city. So, you know, we have a flat yeah. in both places. So I guess I can try to get the best of both worlds. But one of the no. things that I've learned here is really, you know, the work-life balance because people here are really mm. passionate yeah. about getting that right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's good. And, it's, and I think it's nice to kind of, you know, you go get bored of one place and the opportunity to come and visit is great. But London is London. Like we've been to so many cities yeah. across the world. We can't get away. But nothing <laughs> compares. Do you think that location and demographics where you are can put you at a disadvantage what happens to the individual who's working in a very small city in the uk mm. and they're struggling do you feel they need to be in a big city like london or kind of go to san fran do you, like what is your take on that because i know it's a big question for lots of people yeah and i mean there is the argument lots of people say you know if you want to be great you know you need to be in silicon valley right but i think that the yeah, flip yeah. side of that is especially now that we're after the pandemic you know everybody we who knows i don't know where you're sitting you know you, and i think <laughs> you don't really know where anyone is and i would say that you know actually i firmly believe in the power of being online so being on twitter mm. you know i can be anywhere in the world and actually contacting and, and, and meeting great founders great investors etc so i think the world is much smaller these days than yeah, maybe than back think, in the day yeah. yeah and i think what you mentioned is very good the importance of online presence. I don't know if you've kind of seen recently on Twitter, I've seen lots of startups building in public. A lot of people have left jobs publicly and landed a second job on Twitter mm. through DMs yeah. and kind of went through the whole, you know, not applying, no interview, no assessment. And I think it's amazing being online and discoverable. Ooh, uh, on that point of publicly building, I want to ask from the VC perspective, do you keep an eye? Do you watch out? Do you look into those companies that are building publicly? What's your, what's, thoughts, what's on your it? thoughts on it? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, of course, you know, keep an eye on stuff. But also, I think that people who build in private, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> if I was building, I think yeah. I'd probably build it in private. You know, I think that <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think there's any I don't think it's, it's one approach or the other works. I think uh, not yeah. work. Sorry, I don't think one is better than the other. I think that it's you mm. have to decide what's right for you. And I think that if yeah. you're focused on one of the things about, I guess I talked about on my podcast about with one mm. of my startups around the idea of, you know, kind of being out there. One of the things about being mm. out there is that you as an early stage startup might feel the pressure 
to you know have all these great PR and start selling, even though your product is kind of average because you haven't got yeah, to the yeah. stage of building an amazing product. So I think you have to be careful yeah. of that. And actually, Victoria from Kalea, who is one of my female founders, who was recently interviewed by Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, um, she was mm. saying early on in the back in the day they had a very kind of MVP MVP product, but and loads of PR. Mm. But now they have a really great product and less PR. And actually, the PR is sort of generating itself because you know the product is so great. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, absolutely. The power of discoverability. And I remember we had a guest on our show, Dr. Shahab Imtiaz, who was kind of banging about adopting technology and kind of being discoverable. And now he has like the biggest room in Clubhouse with like three hundred yeah. something thousand followers. Yes, right? I, I host a, I host the Sunday uh, health tech update room uh, with Shahab, and he's I would say he's very yeah. inspiring as a young doctor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah and it's great to see kind of all of you lot absolutely killing it in in the sphere i'm very conscious of time i know we've kept you for too long and i know you probably need to rush off um but as a nice way to kind of wrap up and you know and i think it'd be nice for our listeners what advice or what one piece of wisdom would you like to give to people that maybe want to pursue something a bit different to the conventional Mm. rushing to become a consultant or medical only just anything you want that we thought would be beneficial um, I think it's about believing in yourself, even when others don't, you know, I remember when I started as a radiology trainee back in the day, and I said, I'm interested in management, everybody was sort of, you know, looking sideways being like, mm, okay, this is gonna be a bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. But actually, you know, I pursued that and I, I, I was dogged about, you know, I got an MBA in the middle of training, even though they were saying, you know, you're not allowed to, etc. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that I think you have to believe in yourself, because, you know, if you don't show up for yeah. yourself, nobody else is going to show up for you. Yeah, no, definitely agree. Amazing. And that reminded me, I introduced you as one of the very few with the MBA and the MPH. Tell us about the MPH, the public health. How did that happen? I did my MPH um, as part of the time when I was at the Department of Health. And I, um, mm. I, I also got membership to the Faculty of Public Health because back in the day, I was considering going into public health as a ah, and being a doctor there. And my MPH was a great mm. time. I learned so much about policy. I did it at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. But out of the two, mm. I 100% preferred doing the MBA to the MPH. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, no, I can we, imagine why. We don't want to surprise you. Um, Feel free to answer this question. Um, it might be a slightly difficult. Where do you see yourself in the next five years and your fund? I think, you know, building on what we're doing now. So really hoping that mm. some of our amazing companies will have grown, you know, and supporting yeah. them along the way. And I think that I don't think I'll be doing something different. I think we'll be building on what we're doing now because, you know, Crystal Galley Venture has been going for two years. So in five years, yeah. we'll only be seven years old. So, yeah. 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 No, it's very exciting. And I'm, I'm, I'm kicking myself and thinking of, oh, I need a health tech uh, startup so I can work with Fiona. Uh, <laughs> we're in like a whole different sphere. But um, it's been a massive pleasure. I'm really glad we finally got to sit down and do this. I think you've done such incredible work Absolutely. in your career. Um, and you're going to do even more with this fund, with Krista Ghali. Um A massive pleasure. And thank you so much for coming down, Fiona, to thank kind of so record much. this with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you both so much for having me.